0: Over and over again, which I have done, something that you start to realize is that the joy that you see is sort of obvious at first. There's joy of these children experiencing snow for the first time. But then as you start to watch more and more, you realize that there are factors that are playing into that joy. Factors and actions that seem to enhance the joy and bring it forward. For example, it's hard to remove from the context of what we're seeing the history of what we know of this family. That they were escaping a country of violence, and then they were in this temporary refugee camp in a home that wasn't their own for five years, not sure where they might go next. And then they finally settle in this place in Toronto. And so there is something good that we see and something good that happens in us when we watch children with curiosity and delight and a sense of play that comes from safety. And so the joy that they experience is the joy that we experience in seeing this right thing happen with these children. And what of the fact that they are actually experiencing the snow, as I was reading some articles about this family and what happened, so they arrived on a Thursday, on the Friday, so one day after they got there, the host family was starting to explain to them the idea of snow and like what that was. And I have to imagine for these children, the, the idea of snow was sort of bouncing around in their head as they were trying to imagine, what would that be like? What would, what, what would that experience be like? How would they feel that? And then the very next day, it started to snow and the, the kids were called over to the window to look. And as they looked, they didn't have to be told to go outside. They immediately ran downstairs and grabbed whatever coat might sort of fit from these coats that were donated to this family, and immediately ran outside to experience that for themselves. Because it's one thing to be told of snow, it's one thing to hear snow described to you, it's another thing to feel snow falling on your open palms, or to pick it off of your brother's head. And what of the fact that there were two of them? That if this had been an only child, I imagine that they would have still experienced joy. But that they got to experience that with their sibling and do that in relationship and in community. How much greater was that joy? And I think one of the sweetest parts of that video to me is how the younger boy is mimicking the actions of his older sister. And even in the expression of joy and figuring out how to do that, that they're learning how to do that together. And so we see that there are actions, there are factors that can enhance a sense of joy. Well, we are in the season of Advent. And for Christians and non Christians alike, this season gets associated with joy. And for us Christians, the joy that we feel, we sort of most directly connect to the fact that this is the time of year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. But in the same way we have this video where we watch that there are factors, that there are, there are emotions, there are actions that can enhance joy, it makes me wonder, can we be experiencing a deeper joy than just the knowing of this? Is there more than just the fact that we know that Jesus was born? Can we enter in in a deeper way? Well, we're, we're going to look to Scripture for our answer to that. And so we're going to jump into a kind of classic Christmas Scripture in Luke 2. And just to catch us up to what happened in Luke prior to the section that we're going to read, uh, there was an angelic foretelling of the birth of first John and then Jesus. And in that, we see that from the very beginning of, of the birth of Jesus, God's hand is at work. God is carefully orchestrating and carefully working in all that is to happen. And then what may be familiar to many of us, Mary and Joseph then travel to Bethlehem because of a decree from the emperor. And they go to this place that is not their home, and while they're there, there's no place to stay. So they end up in a place where animals stay, and it is there that Jesus is born. And that in that moment, that this, in this sort of critical moment in, in the history of God's plan for salvation, it is this climactic moment that sort of Scripture before has been pointing to this place, pointing to this place where God is going to act and God is going to work, at this moment where, where it should be that we're focused on God, God and His glory, we are all of a sudden transported from the focus of God to the focus of shepherds in a field nearby. So we're going to pick up the story there. And as we do, what I want all of us to do is to be looking for, as we read the scripture, where are the places where joy is coming about? And and what actions are helping to bring that forward? So reading in in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It was just as the angel had told them. So from this passage, we see joy. Joy declared and joy experienced. But we see that that joy increases as the story goes on, that there are actions that can increase that joy. So we're going to look further into what are these actions that increase joy, and what might that be speaking to us today in our own lives. So we see that the... First action is one of revelation. That in verses 8 through 11, the angel reveals to the shepherds the truth of what God has done and the work that God is doing. And that in the idea of revelation, there is this idea of these parallel realities. That the shepherds, to this point, had experienced sort of life as they know it. That is, it is their normal life, their normal routine, the day to day. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, that is interrupted by the reality of heaven. That the truth of what's going on in heaven starts to merge and become part of their truth, and that they start to see a reality that they could not have known otherwise. And so we see that this is a truth that is revealed, and and in truth that is revealed, it can't be something that we have to do, that this necessarily needs to be the first action, and the initiative of that is owned by God. That we can't be the one to concoct it. We can't put together the right formula. We can't understand it or think hard enough to reveal something that is truly true of God and who God is and what God might want to do. That it is only by God's work that those things are revealed to us. It has to be God who decides. And something about that inside me, something bristles against that. Because some part of me wants there to be, well, I get to control that. Some part of me wants it to be, well, if I just do the right things, if I take the right actions, if I, if I get it right, then I can learn the things of God, and that's, that's the way that I get to do it. And I want to be in control. But then I realize that the counter to that is that that's not true, that it's not in my control, but that the reason that that is comforting is because of this God's grace that we can know that. It is true that we can't make God do that, but it is a cause of praise and worship that God chooses to do that for us out of grace. And so it is not about what we do. It is not about the creation or or the the thinking the right things or the right actions that we take. That is because of God. And this point is further emphasized by the fact of, of who are the recipients of this message. Who are the first people that God chooses to reveal the truth that Jesus has been born? And that is these shepherds. And in society at this time, shepherds were the sort of lowest rung of society. They were the people who were seen as sort of the the worst, the outcasts and the sinners. They were the marginalized people of this time, the people who were thought less of, that people disregarded, didn't care about. In fact, the law viewed them as unclean. And so it is these people, which would it make any sense to the way that we might think about it, that, that God says these are the people that are worthy to be revealed of this truth. Emphasizing the point to us that it is not about what society says, not about what we might think are the right things to do And that's how we might earn enough that God might reveal some truth to us. It is because of God's action and God's grace And we see that in the way that this is revealed that the first reaction of the shepherds is one of fear And that to me is like one of the most relatable things within this whole passage is I think if I saw an angel I would also be terrified Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> amen. And, and I think, I mean, the reason for that is, is, I think, rational, is that there is a power that is outside of me that is clearly bigger than I am. And it is not in my control. And it's something so other that I have no place to put that. I have no sort of pocket to put that in. And, it, and because that power is so great and because it's outside of me and because I don't control it, it is, I think, true that that power could harm me. That power could be used to destroy me. It is greater than I am. But that the reason that the angel is immediately able to reassure the shepherds is because that's not what's going on here. Rather, what is happening is that God is moving in grace. And that is the source of their reassurance. And and the movement of that grace is the message that they have to deliver, that the Savior has been born. And that message is one of fulfillment. It is of hope and promise. That in the way that they say that today this has been fulfilled is marking that this is the beginning of a new era. That this is the start of a time where the Savior is now here. Where they are rescued and they will be reconciled to God and to one another starting from this day because of what God has done. And in this passage we see that the words Messiah, Savior, and Lord are used together in Scripture for the first time and to describe Jesus. And so there is, to make no mistake, that this is the promised Savior. This is the plan that God had. And with that message of fulfillment is also an offer, an invitation to come further. And that invitation comes in the form of the sign that is offered to say that you will, you will find a baby that is wrapped in cloths. And we'll get, more, we'll get into more about what that invitation means. But that invitation is furthered by A further pulling back of the curtain of what's going on in heaven and that they see this army of angels which when the army of angels showed up I think I would have needed the don't be afraid reminder again and an army of angels shows up and and we see in that sort of a proper response to this news and and that response even in heaven is one of praise and worship and declaration of peace that is what we are being invited into and so we consider the joy that is being declared here, and the joy that is, is found in, in what this passage is saying. And this joy goes more than past just some personal feeling. I think it's easy for us in the way that we can use joy, sort of in, in our common vocabulary, that to think of joy as happiness and those being the same thing. And happiness being more of a personal feeling that's based on circumstances. I might be happy because I had a good day. I might be happy because it's sunny outside. I might be happy because I had a really good brunch. These these could be sources of happy for us, but what's being described here is so much deeper than that. What's being described here is something that is soul-stirring. It's going to the deepest parts of us, and that this joy is only possible by the presence and work of God. That is the joy that is being declared here and that we are being invited into. And so from this joy that comes from this moment, that that the shepherds are invited in what we read, and we are invited in this unfolding story today. That we are invited into that same joy because of what happened then. And in addition to that, that what we see of what's true of God here, the character of God, the way that God wants to relate to us personally in revealing messages of hope and promise, that I think it is fair to say that, that we can expect and hope for those things today. And so what might that look like? Well, I'm in a small group here at New Community. And as was mentioned before, small groups are a way that we do life together here in ways that are too hard to do on a Sunday. It's a place where we can really walk together in our our journey with trying to learn more about God and and become closer with one another. And in friendship and relationship, just sort of travel life together with Jesus. I'm I'm so grateful for the small group that I'm in. And in this small group that I'm in, uh, there's a woman who I'll call Amy. And Amy was going through a particular season of life where she was just experiencing a lot of dissatisfaction. And it was dissatisfaction professionally and dissatisfaction personally. And just a lot of things were not going the way that she was hoping or that she had planned for. And so she was hoping for change and hoping for things to be different and waiting for that, but things were not changing. And so she was becoming increasingly desperate and hopeless in this place. So one day in our small group, we prayed for her. And while we prayed, there was a person in our group who I'll call Brian, who felt like God specifically gave him some words to speak to Amy. And the words he gave him that he specifically was, was that Brian felt like were coming from God were words of, to remind Amy that she was a beloved daughter of the Father. And that she was beloved and set apart for purpose. And that, that God had purpose. And, for her life in his grander purpose, and wanted to remind her of that. And as we finished praying, Amy looked up and teary-eyed, but also wide-eyed, immediately looked over at a third person in our group, well, called Jane, and said, Jane, did you talk to Brian today? And Jane, who looked somewhat equally freaked out, said, no, I didn't. And so what they eventually shared with us and showed us in a text message is something that Amy and Jane had been talking about earlier that day, and with permission of the person, I'll read that text message now. I just want something. I'm not asking for proof, but I kind of am. I just want to hear from my Father to know that I am beloved and set apart and designed with purpose. This is what it looks like when God moves with grace in our lives. That God is still in the business of doing that today. That God, who is God of all the universe, God who is creator of heaven and earth, so deeply and personally loves us, that when we are in a place where we are feeling most desperate and most hopeless and most needing to hear from him, to know that he is really as good as he says he is, that we can really count on him, that his truth is real, that he, in a way that we couldn't possibly coordinate or do ourselves, shows us that he is for real and that he loves us. This is the way that God moves in grace and revelation today. And so it is good and right for us to hope and expect for that in our own lives, in the places where we most need it. And so we see from this first action of revelation that there is then a second action of response, and a response that increases joy. And so we see here that the initiative shifts from that of God to that of humanity, that we are then sort of given a chance to respond. And so we see a range of responses within this passage. Um, The one response could be that of after the shepherds share of all that's happened to them, that we, we see that in Scripture that there's a response of astonishment. And this is more than just sort of simple amazement, that this is a reverent awe for, okay, something has happened here that is beyond what we can imagine. Something has happened here that's beyond what we can fathom. And there was that kind of reverent awe in our small group that night. But it's not meant to end with just astonishment. That we are to move past that. That we are to move past just a simple sort of reverent awe or amazement. As good as that is. And we see a second response in Mary um, in verse 19. Where it says that she kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. And we see in some other translations that it's this idea of pondering. This idea of kind of wrestling with and chewing on. Trying to figure it out and stick with it. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading some different commentaries about this passage, and there was one commentary that felt a little judgy, that was like, um, well, it's clear from Mary's reaction that she did not fully understand all the events that had transpired. Well, all right, I'm going to go ahead and say maybe just this one time, we give her a pass. Just to recap all that Mary had been through, she is a teenager who had just become engaged and... uh, Despite being a virgin, an angel comes to her and says, you are going to become pregnant. Oh, and that baby that you're going to be pregnant with, that will actually be the savior of all people and God himself. And then because of some government decree, her and her fiance go to some place that's not their home. And when they get there, there's nowhere to go. So they go somewhere where there are animals staying. And then she gives birth. And after having just given birth, mind you, these dudes show up. And they're like, oh yeah, an angel told us too that we were supposed to come by, so we thought we'd stop by. I'm going to say if I were her, I would also need a minute. But, But to me, it is incredibly encouraging that this is here. That this, sort of within the range of responses to Revelation, that we see that this is what Mary is doing. Because it says that we don't have to get it right away. It's not that we have to fully understand it. We don't have to fully sort of be able to scrutinize. And I put this pressure on myself sometimes to like fully get on board with like, what's God's plan? How do I get on board with that? What do I have to do? And that intention is good, but the figuring it out and sort of getting it perfect is not needed. And instead, I think this response is here to encourage us because the part about this that seems to be important is that Mary is sticking with it that she's not minimizing, she's not disregarding, she's not pushing to the side. She's trying to understand, she's pursuing. She's sticking with God and saying, God, what are you doing here? What is this work that's happening? And in that way, we see that same response mirrored in the response of the shepherds after the angel has revealed to them what the angel said. And I think it's worth noting that this is the way that it happened, but it could have been that the angel could have said, Okay, here is the truth. The Savior has been born. Now I'm going to personally escort you to go see the baby in the cloth. So follow me, we're going to go see it. Or short of that, it could have been that the angel says, well, I'm going to give you exact instructions of how to get there. I'm telling you, you need to go. You need to go see this. But that's not what happens. Rather, what happens is to say that there is a sign that is available to you, and then the angel leaves. And so we see that the invitation that God offers to us is not an order. It is not a, you have to go do this, but in this way, it is an invitation to go deeper. It is to say, this is available to you, that I am inviting you into what I am doing. I'm inviting you in to discover for yourself more of who I am, more of the truth of what I can offer you, and I'm inviting you to come experience that. And that when they do, that there's a more... Full understanding, a more full realization, something cements in us when we experience it that way. That knowledge is good and important, but that knowledge with experience is when things can really become real to us. It's like the Eritrean children of feeling snow versus just thinking about it. And so, with this though, comes a true decision that God offers us a chance to go deeper offers us a chance to know more of who he is and who we are, and to experience more of the fullness of what God might have for us, but that we've got a decision in there. And the sort of good news, bad news part of that is that the decision is often things that we wouldn't choose to do. The decision is God maybe leading us to something that would be the opposite of what we would say, oh, that's what makes sense to me. That God might be bringing us into something that, that would be totally counter to what we might naturally choose for ourselves. And so we have to make with courage and with the grace of God a decision about are we willing to go deeper but when we do that we can expect that there will be more of God available to us and more joy there an experience that um, I'm aware of in our church where this happened is a young woman and this young woman had been in a relationship that was abusive and it had lasted for a few years and after getting out of this relationship it left her a shell of herself that She was full of anxiety and shame and fear and scared. And she was suffering from panic attacks that were making life unlivable, making life unmanageable. And so in this place where this woman was, that she needed to hear from God. And and there was an invitation that happened on this Sunday. And I'm going to pick up directly from, with her permission, with the story that she told me. My life from then revolved around my anxiety and completely dried out my relationship with God for months, until one day at Newcom, Pastor Peter insisted that whoever is struggling right now needs to come up and ask the prayer team for prayers. After fighting many inner battles in a five-minute span, I stood up to walk towards a sister I've never met before because one, she was the only one who was available, and two, we made immediate eye contact. I only shared briefly about how tiring my life was. Then she grabbed my hands in the most delicate and loving way and prayed earnestly for me as if she felt my pain with me. Our prayer, of course, ended in me drowning in my tears and actually opening up to her. I still remember her smiling and gently telling me that she knows the pain because she also has been hurt by a similar situation in the past. I didn't feel so alone anymore. That in Revelation, God offered to this woman an offer for prayer but that in the place that she was in where she was feeling helpless and desperate that she had to make a decision am i gonna am i gonna enter into this am i gonna go up but what i think is so lovely and interesting about this story is that as she made those decisions that every small decision she made god was there to meet her with more grace that as she was willing to move forward, that she locked eyes with someone and God provided somebody. And as, as she went up there, that this woman was just the right amount of gentle and the right amount of care that allowed it to be a little bit easier. And then this powerful prayer time and then partnering with this woman who had gone through some similar experiences, God was able to meet her in the ways that she needed. And so I, I greatly admire this woman and anybody who chooses to go forward in the things that God asks us to do that are scary and hard but as a reminder for all of us that we can know that when we do those things that God's grace is there for us, that God is good for what he says he will do. And so we have a real decision, but we know that God is good for that. And so there are the actions of revelation, and then there's this action of response, and finally we see an action of retelling. And in this retelling, when the shepherds have experienced all they've experienced, that they Retell to the people that are there what has happened to them and in this retelling we see that the shepherds are qualified to be the first people recorded in scripture to Get to retell a part of the gospel that they are the ones that are qualified and deemed worthy to do that and We there's nothing in scripture that tells us that these people were particularly persuasive or that they were particularly charismatic or that they were sort of the most knowledgeable or the best people for the job because of some innate ability. Nothing in here says that. Rather, it seems that the reason that they are qualified to do this, the reason that they are entrusted with that is because they are faithful to tell of the the work that God has done in their lives. And that this is the qualification for being witnesses, for being retellers of what God has done. And so this is a reminder to us that that the, the retelling of God's story is, is not something that we need to conjure up. It's not something that we need to sort of formulate in the right way. And I say that saying that there is wisdom in, in sort of the right way to share and contextualizing that with the right people and figuring out ways to do that. But, it, but never without losing sight that it's not, we are not the origin point of that sharing, that we are not the place where that starts, that rather it is God who calls and empowers us as witnesses. It is the work that God does in our life that allows us to share. When we share, we are just coming alongside something that God is already doing. And that, and that it, it can be an experience where that the joy that God has put into us and the work that he has done spills over into us, into others. So that we see that this work that God does and this joy that we get to experience is never meant to be just for us. It is for us because God loves us, but then also, mysteriously and wonderfully, God can use that in the lives of people around us. That somehow, in ways that, in, in some ways, escape my imagination, we can somehow be the tool of revelation for someone else. That God could somehow use us in the lives of others. And so I'm learning how to do this well. It's, it feels awkward at times, and I feel like I'm fumbling with it at times. And a really good model that I feel like I've heard about with this is something that came from our Open Arms Ministry. And if you don't know what Open Arms is, it is a ministry that comes out of our church that's looking to alleviate poverty in Chicago, and particularly in Logan Square. And part of the way that they do that is to take this holistic view of poverty, that it is not just about a lack of material goods, that there is poverty of spirituality, there's poverty of relationship and identity. And so it's not just about sort of the people who have material goods serving the people who don't, it's saying all of us suffer from poverty, so let's come together as all people to serve one another. And in this holistic view of poverty that's being taken, everybody is given a voice, everybody is empowered. So whether you are somebody who happens to have material goods or you don't, that everyone is being restored in dignity. And that's, that is particularly important for those who are suffering from homelessness or suffering from food depravity because of the way that Dignity can be stripped from you in the way our society works. And so something that I was talking with Daryl, the executive director of this ministry, and something that he was sharing with me is that as there are guests who come to this, as there are guests who are suffering from homelessness, who experience this, they then go back into their own communities with people that they know who are also suffering from homelessness. And that they are telling them about this ministry. But that invitation doesn't look like the way that I might invite somebody. It doesn't look like the way that sort of awkwardly, "Eh, I don't want to offend you. Instead, the way that invitation looks is, you got to come be a part of this. We are building something. Something is happening here, and you're going to want to do this, and we need you here. What if we could share like that? What if we could share because we are changed people, and we know the joy that's in us, and we're not allowing that to end with us, that we want others to come be a part? My prayer for me and for us is that we might have the boldness and joy of sharing that our brother in open arms says. And so we see from these actions, these actions of revelation, this action of response as God invites us into deeper relationship, this action of retelling, to tell of the joy that God has done, that in these actions that there is great joy. And that a bigger thing is going on when we take take our place in these actions, that these actions all relate to a greater unfolding of what God is doing that the story of God is unfolding before us and happened in this moment with Jesus being born and immediately in the way that the shepherds were invited and that story unfolds and folds to us today. And so too are we being invited into that story. And that in these actions, what we are really doing is participating in the story of God. And as we go deeper and participate in that story that we find a joy and a sense of identity and purpose that's available nowhere else so, men and women of new community, my message for us today is this. Find joy when you take your place in God's story. Available to you is a story that God has set aside for you. Actions of revelation that God wants to show you in the places where you most need it. And a response that God invites you into to to know him more. And that you will be able to retell stories of the joy of the work that God has done. And in all these things, we are being interwoven into the greater story of God's plan for salvation to reconcile all creation to himself, and we get to be a part of that. Find joy when you take your place in God's story. And one way that that looks, as I close, is a personal story of how that's starting to look in my life. In the summer of 2009, at the beginning of the summer, I felt like I heard some specific words from God as I was praying, and, and those words were accelerated preparation. And as is my leaning and wants, somewhat out of brokenness, I assumed that what those words meant was that I was supposed to go do something. I was supposed to go accomplish something. Maybe I was supposed to start seminary or go start leading some ministry. But instead, what God showed me through the course of that summer, and by the end of the summer I knew, was that instead what God was calling me to was a deep season of healing and that healing was gonna happen through counseling. Now, I come from a background that wasn't very open to the idea of counseling. I, I didn't know anything about it. I sort of kept it at arm's length. I would say that my view of counseling was something that only sort of, in quotes, people, where there's something really wrong with you. That's what counseling's for. But yet, I felt like God was calling me to that, and so I had a chance to respond. And so I responded without really knowing what I was getting into, to step into that. And so part of my story that's important for this is to know that part of my growing up story was that I came from a family of neglect, particularly emotional neglect. And that from that neglect, it left me feeling insecure and afraid and angry and sad. And my greatest fear that has ruled much of my life is a fear that I will be all alone. And so what God started to do in counseling was to... Unravel some of that some of the things that I worked my whole life to stay away from God started to show me and started to connect me to and So this response was not a one-time response because what I found is that as I dug into my brokenness as I dug into my hurt finding one area of hurt meant that there were ten more behind it and so it was in that four-year period of, of this deep season of healing It was disorienting. I felt like the rug was being pulled out from underneath me. The things that I understood about what life was about and how life was supposed to work were all being unraveled and undone. And I was confused much of the time. And if it it had only been up to me, I don't know that I would have kept with it. I don't know that I would have made it. But the thing that kept me going was that God was the one who invited me into that. And that meant there was something better on the other side. And what that something better was, was God giving me a redo. God allowing me to go back to those same places of hurt that I had avoided for so long, but this time in the grace and love of God and of safe people that God had put in my life. And that as he did, that there was deep places of healing in me, which then allowed for me to experience, really for the first time, trusting that my Heavenly Father really loves me. And then trusting that people who God puts in my life also love me too. And from that changing love that happened in my life, that I was then able to love others well. And from these experiences, the life I lead is beyond my wildest dreams. And there is so much joy. And I say this not to say that my life is perfect, not to say that I don't still have suffering and doubts and struggles, and and that I'm not still trying to figure all of that out. It's all still part of the deal. But what is true and what has changed for me increasingly is that my starting point used to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. It used to be waiting for all of the hurts and fears that I had to be confirmed again. And increasingly so, my starting point is my heavenly Father loves me. And those who God has put in my life love me. And so whatever comes down the pike, I'm gonna be okay to live with that, from that place of fear to this place of freedom is a life that I could not have sought after for myself. And I tell you this to say and proclaim of the joy that God has done in my life, but also to say that I am but a shepherd. I am just a guy, and what I mean by that is there is nothing special about me that isn't also special about you you have a narrative that God has set aside uniquely for you. God wishes, in the, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, to reveal to you hope and freedom in places that are still harassing you today. And as God do that, God wishes to invite you into a deeper sense of who he is and who you are in relationship with him. So that you will one day be able, even from wherever you are today, to tell a story of the joy of the work that God has done. And there are... Reservoirs of abundant joy waiting for you in heaven. Find joy when you take your place in God's story.